Hello everyone and welcome to Spaces with Josie. I am your host, Josie the Redheaded Libertarian. Can everybody hear me okay? Go ahead and throw up your emojis down there at the bottom, heart with the plus sign. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you and thank you all for being here. And I'd like to thank my streamers at TinCast.com. Thank you for becoming a member and helping to support our work. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Owen Schroyer. Welcome, Owen. Oh, you can unmute yourself at the bottom there. There we go. Good evening. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good. Great. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, before we jump into reform, do you want to briefly tell our audience who you are, what you do, and what happened to you? Sure. I have been working in media for over a decade now. I started in sports media, but when I realized how dire, quite frankly, the situation was with the corruption in our media first and then our government second, I had to switch from sports to political media. Um, I eventually joined the team at InfoWars. I host their afternoon drive show from 3 to 6 p.m. Central weekdays called the InfoWars War Room been doing that for nearly seven years now or going on seven years now and i have faced continued political persecution and censorship for the things i say and do my field journalism and reporting as well as my broadcasting on the air i have been arrested by the or politically persecuted and arrested by the deep state i would say three times i've been censored across all mainstream media social media platforms until recently i was reinstated by elon musk but most recently i faced 60 days in a federal prison for speech crimes oh you cut out for a second if you're still speaking owen are you there Oh no. Yes, I'm here. Okay, okay, I got you. I, I heard speech crimes and then it cut out. If you said anything after that, I didn't hear it. Sorry, my uh, FBI handlers are uh, tuning into this stream right now. They and like probably to do disrupting. that. <laughs> yeah, probably disrupting the flow. Mm -hmm. But yes, as I was saying, the U.S. government doesn't even really hide that they incarcerated me for speech crimes. You can read their 31-page sentencing memo and the entire just of it is my speech crimes not things that i said on january 6th which was their hook to put me in but things i said on my radio show before and after january 6th having nothing to do with january 6th highlighting such things as me saying joe biden is a communist chinese agent or me referring to the videos of joe biden on c-span groping little children, which I'm sure many of your audience has seen as well. So that's a brief background for me. Well, thank you. Um, I'm not sure if you just cut out again or not, but um, as a revolutionary historian and a journalist, uh, your case stood out to me as particularly egregious, uh, due not, not only due to the overt First Amendment violations of your speech as both a citizen and a journalist, but there's equal protection infringements due to who you are and where you work and the fact that essentially whether you intended to or not 
You echoed the tyranny grievances that Thomas Jefferson enshrined in our Declaration of Independence, particularly the 13th and the 23rd grievances involving the state putting their own interests above the people and waging war against the people. So I, I thought that that was the first time I heard what you said. I was like, I've heard this before. And I, I went back and I looked at my notes. And um, yeah, you were you were persecuted for doing things that the founding fathers did themselves. So that was just... just uh, next level to me um you know we all knew something was cooking and that something bad was happening and they were very arrogant about how they did it so that that's why i'm just i'm very happy you're here to be able to talk to me today about that well you know that's some very rare and prestigious air to be in uh it's not necessarily something i had expected or even wanted to go through, mm -hmm. yet here we are, and you know the constitutional revolutionary history of it, but there's even a significant develop recently, mm -hmm. uh, development recently where when the FBI indicted me in August of 2021, a magistrate judge. Oh no, you're gone again. I absolutely believe this is the FBI. Maybe I'm just a libertarian, but this is definitely sketchy. Owen, are you there? Wow. Owen, if you can hear me, log out and log back in. Let's fuck with the FBI. And, and um, okay, perfect. So until I get Owen back, we'll, uh, let me tell you about the grievances a little bit, I guess. So for those of you who don't know in detail about the 27th grievances of our Declaration of Independence, um, re we're talking about reform here and reform is absolutely imperative, okay? So in the 250 years, oh, there's Owen again, let's try this. So in the 250 years since the um, beginning of the revolution. For starters, grievances 8, 9, 18, and 19 revolved around the courts being captured. Grievances 12 and 15 regarded a two-tiered justice system. Taxation without representation didn't even hit until grievance 17. At least two-thirds of the grievances outlined in our Declaration of Independence today we are living with some version of today. So uh, wrap your head around that, and I am going to be going more deeply into that probably on a post in the next few days. But Owen, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I'm sorry that this is getting disrupted so much. That is very strange. I don't know if this normally happens to you. The but, only uh, other time this happened was when I had FBI whistleblowers on, so yeah. So I'm sure we can assume the worst here and probably be co close to the reality, but we don't <laughs> need to expand on that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to get to what I was talking about. You were getting into the revolutionary history, the constitutional history of this, but we even have a recent history here. Mm -hmm. It was actually the Obama administration that signed laws that said that the DHS and FBI could not prosecute a journalist without going through added measures and protocols. Mm -hmm. And so when the FBI indicted me in August of 2021, a Magistrate Judge, Judge Faruqi, basically asked the question of, did you go through the proper procedures and protocols in indicting a journalist? And of course, the answer was no, they didn't. And when they were pressed on this by this magistrate judge, they basically just said, it bent. We don't care. We don't have to follow the law. So it was Obama that actually signed this. And me, philosophically, intellectually, I would argue that the First Amendment 
applies equally whether you're a member of the press with a million followers or uh, American citizen with no followers. I don't think there should be specific rules for journalists, but nonetheless there are, and those protections were made by Obama, and the FBI egregiously violated them and just did not care when a magistrate judge called them out. So there's a lot of history here that quite frankly shows the violations and the persecutions beyond a reasonable doubt in my case. But not to make this about me, what really worries me is that we're going to have a future generation of Americans that are going to be afraid to report the truth. They're going to live in a situation like that of a China or a North Korea, where if you speak out against your government negatively, you may have repercussions such as incarceration or worse, or even just the American not wanting to speak out with their family or in a conversation at a bar or on their cell phone, worried that somehow, some way, their conversations, their private speech could be used against them to incarcerate them. That's my fear, and there's a cloud that hangs over me. And just to be clear, I censor myself. I don't go on air every day and think, oh, I'm not gonna say that because I'm gonna wind up in jail. I still tell the truth unvarnished, but I'd be lying if I said there wasn't an itch I can't scratch or a cloud that hangs over my head where every day I go on the air or just doing this interview with you, it's there. And am I going to be incarcerated for this? Is this speech now going to land me in prison? It's something I can't shake. Maybe in time I will be able to shake it, but who knows? Maybe in time they arrest me again. Now, this breaks my heart. This breaks my heart for future Americans. I know you have children. This breaks my heart for future Americans that they might have to live with the same cloud because no doubt my case was a precedent-setting case. And since my case, they have now charged three other journalists mm -hmm. who are waiting on their sentencing for speech crimes just filming historic events like that on January 6th. It's it makes my skin crawl, it makes my stomach turn. When you were when we were trying to get you back before I was weighing in more about uh, the grievances in the constitution and I'd mentioned that grievances 8, 9, 18 and 19 all revolved around the courts being captured and that grievances 12 and 15 regarded a two-tiered justice system. These are things that that we're living with now. These are things we're facing now. These are things our founders saw and they said, you know what, this is enough to to have a revolution over. Um, what's good about how they've set up our republic is that we're a republic of 50 states. So in order to capture all of us, they have to capture us 50 times, essentially. So that's why I always say that people should go to a state that best reflects your values um, when it comes to how we're supposed to move forward as a country, because we are we are fractured and we are caught federally. And I well, now wait a second. Mm -hmm. Why do you, you say that? And yet liberals keep fleeing to Texas. Uh, they keep leaving California to come to Texas and leaving New York to go to Florida. I think they need to take your advice and stay in the states that destroyed. I, I agree with that. You know, I, I mean, are they escaping now? I know I live in I live in Florida, and they did a survey about the people who have come to Florida because I was one of the refugees, the from blue state refugee who came to Florida. And they did a survey, and something like 99% of the refugees who came to Florida all vote red. So Florida is becoming more and more red. But so is it? So in um, Texas, are people actually coming from other states? Um, is it for tax purposes? Is it uh, wh why are the blue people going to a red state? Are they trying to flip that one for purposes of the electoral college, or is it? Is it? Well, the average liberal leaves 
California and New York because of the crime and the cost of living and the taxes and the seedy nature mm-hmm. and the bad infrastructure and uh, and everything else. I, I just think it's funny that you bring that up because we all know what's going on. People are fleeing from blue states. They can't get out fast enough. And it's because of left-wing policies. And then they move to red states and they bring their politics with them. It mm-hmm. just shows how the leftist mind is completely broken I mean, it truly is a mental disorder. I I really do believe that. That's not a cliche. It it, it really is a mind virus, as Elon Musk puts it. It really is a mental disorder. It's cancer, and it's it's spreading throughout our country, and I I fear for the future of our country. I mean, this this election season... I I mean, this seriously could be our last election as our country. Um, So it's it's very serious what's happening. Um, It's it's great that we have... um, as close as we can to free speech back because it just takes one pillar to expose what's going on so we're allowed to talk about this stuff now on x you know there are so many stories you think about that never would have gotten off the ground if it weren't for being able to actually speak about them now we would have been like uh i had read somewhere the the president of harvard that never would have gotten legs that never would have got off the ground but it did because we were allowed to talk about it so i i believe that having speech here on X is definitely going to help kind of propel us forward into a, a freer future and, and help stop what's going on, ideally. Well, and it's nice for now, and mm-hmm. who knows what they could do to Elon Musk and try to shut X back down before the election. We, we, we hope, obviously, not the worst, but mm-hmm. that's, that's the corruption that we're dealing with. And some might argue, and hopefully it ends up being inaccurate, that the last election we had was 2016, but that brings me back to my point. They also, in my sentencing memo, said that I wasn't remorseful for saying that Donald Trump won the 2020 election and that it was rigged. They, they basically are trying to bully defendants into saying their propaganda like some sort of 1984 mm-hmm. struggle session. But, yes. but I told you that this is what I wanted to talk about, and I really want to get this across to people because... Quite frankly, the right wing needs to understand this more than anything because they have this this notion that being pro-police, which is fine enough, and pro-law enforcement, which is fine enough, somehow means that we have to support all levels of law enforcement. And in the past, they've been really sticky when it comes to talking about corruption at the FBI or now like Vivek Ramaswamy talking about abolishing the FBI, which, quite frankly, I think is the right rhetoric at this point. But we have to understand you can support police and law enforcement, but also call out corruption and abuse of power because that's what's going on. And I would hate for it to get to a point because right now, while it is far too many, it is still a minority of people who have had to go through what I go through. And let me just tell you, when you're sitting in the courtroom, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a three-ring circle, if you will. Your table with your attorneys, prosecuting and the U.S. attorneys across the room, and then the judge sitting on the bench. And when you're in a situation as a defendant in political persecution and where the deep state already has a plan for you, you realize the hard way in that moment that justice was never even an option and you never had a chance. And let me tell you, it's a very sinking feeling. It's a very isolating and lonely and helplessness feeling that I hope people don't have to endure like I have. But if the right wing doesn't wake up to this, they're going to have to experience it personally. The, ins- the 
incentive from the U.S. attorneys and the prosecuting attorneys is sentencing and convictions. That's it. There's no justice. Justice never comes into the play. They want high conviction rates, and that's how they intend to climb the Justice Department ladder, is with high conviction rates. Not justice. Convictions. And then there's the judge. His incentive is imprisonment. Gotta fill the prisons. And so when you are on the wrong side of that courtroom and you realize that the individuals who have your fate and your future in their hands never even considered justice, it was never even a thought that crossed their mind, it's a sinking feeling that I hope nobody has to experience. It's one of the worst feelings you can ever have. Justice was never on the table. The incentive is convictions and imprisonment. And I hope we can do something about this politically before it gets a lot worse. Do you have um, any ideas about how to fix this, this corrupt system, how to, how to stop it? Well, yeah, it's actually pretty simple. You have to abolish the FBI, if not the entire federal government. There's no other way to put it. I mean, you could get into complex scenarios and talk about finding ways to root out the left-wing ideology of, from the bench, rooting out the left-wing ideology from the U.S. attorneys, but that's a lot more complex and difficult. You just gotta, you just gotta uproot it altogether is what you have to do. You need to give the powers back to the states, and I would just say, if, if I, the, the really, the way this is going to go, if we can't get Vivek Ramaswamy in there or Donald Trump doesn't take up Vivek Ramaswamy's policies on this, it's going to take a courageous governor. And I don't think we have that governor yet, but it's going to take a courageous governor to come out and say, the federal government has no jurisdiction in my state. Mm-hmm. And if you intend to use any sort of federal power against a citizen of my state, you have no jurisdiction here. We will not cooperate with you. And so it basically presents a situation where as long as you don't go to Washington, D.C., which would still be a shame to not be able to go to our nation's capital, which at this point is more like a third world country than the capital of the United States. Mm-hmm. But yet it would at least be a way for us to avoid this unchecked political persecutive power that the federal government has. So there are easy ways to do this. I think Vivek Ramaswamy has the best ideas and the best rhetoric when it comes to it. But I think the, the more likelihood is that it's going to take a courageous governor to say, no, you have no jurisdiction here. We will not cooperate with you unless our state decides that charges need to be filed. You're not going to be coming after our citizens. I like that. And we saw some of that um, bold governorship uh, during COVID, which was great. And we do see out of Texas, actually, AG Ken Paxton, he's got something like an 80% win record against the Biden regime. So we we do see some strong people that are that are um, taking positions that that protect the people of their state. So so I think that that's... Well, Ken Paxton is a perfect example. This is a man who's been on the wrong side of political persecution Mm -hmm. multiple times from the FBI and the Democrats. And he's won, and he's come out on the other side. So there's a reason why he's kind of the leading edge on this, because he's been on the wrong side of it. And so, but that's what's so unfortunate. It's going to take more more people to be on the wrong side of it for individuals with power and influence to realize that this is a serious problem our country is facing. Absolutely. We wanted to touch here on prison reform too. Do you want to do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, this is another issue that the right wing is so afraid to touch on, mm-hmm. but again, 
they're going to end up in prison if they don't soon enough. From my experience, most recently in the prison system, I would say that the vast majority, definitely a simple majority of the inmates that I experienced were people that do not belong in prison. They just simply don't belong there. Mm -hmm. We're talking about nonviolent criminals. Mm -hmm. We're talking about fathers that have families. We're talking about grandfathers that have grandkids, nonviolent criminals. You could very easily have the majority of those people on an ankle monitor, on house arrest, and they could at least still have a semblance of dignity and life and spend time with their family that is obviously denied to them while they're in the federal facility. Now, this might not be so popular on the right wing, but quite frankly, we need to end the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. They have a new thing that most people haven't even heard of called a ghost dope charge. You don't even have to be caught with drugs anymore. They don't even have to have any evidence of you with drugs anymore. If they can twist somebody's arm who they catch with drugs to say, oh, I got it from this person, they don't even need evidence. They can arrest you and hit you with a dealing charge without any evidence. There's a lot of that in there. And I also realize there's a lot more political prisoners than we may think. Now, it's not as much as a speech issue, but you go up against corrupt judges, you go up against corrupt prosecutors, you go up corruption in the medical industry, the insurance industry, they find a way to throw you in jail. And it's amazing. You know, show me the man, I'll show you the crime. This goes on a lot more than we realize in this country. I just happen to have a large following and my story just happened to uh, get out to such a degree that now I can make people aware of this. But there are way too many people in prison that don't belong there. There was an instance where the Bureau of Prisons had a congressional testimony, Colette Peters was being questioned and Matt Gates brought up my name during that. But that's really a side issue. The Bureau of Prisons is asking for $2 billion. And they say, we need better help. We need better facilities and all this other stuff, which I will give them. It is true. The prison facilities are falling apart. The prison employees are inept, lazy, and incompetent. That is a real issue. But the answer isn't giving them $2 billion. You could give them $2 trillion and nothing would change. The answer is find out how many inmates cost $2 billion a year annually and release them from prison immediately. If you need $2 billion, that's how to save it. Nobody would notice the difference. Crime rates would barely even change. And so there needs to be massive prison reform too. This prison for profit system needs to end. This incentive from a, attorneys to get a conviction and for judges to get incarceration, it has to end. Justice in this country is hanging by a thread, Josie. Mm, I agree with that. Who profits from people being in prison? Well, you'd be amazed, but there are obviously people that have to build the prisons. There are people that have to maintain the prisons. There are people that have to provide the food to the prisons. There are people that have to provide the items in the commissary to the prisons. Much of it comes from China. Mm -hmm. You can see that just by reading the made in China on the labels. So there's a business there. There's mm -hmm. a business there. And when the Bureau of Prisons is buying in bulk, they can get it at a good price. But still, who's ever selling it to them? They're selling mass amounts of product to the BOP. 
And again, it gets sold at commissary. It, it gets fed to the prisoners. And so absolutely, there is a profit margin here, not to mention the BOP. I mean, they have the nerve to go out there and ask for $2 billion. Where's that money going to go? Well, right in the pockets of many BOP officials. So absolutely, there is money involved in this. And there are people that make money off of it who don't want the gravy train to stop. I agree with that. So I want to respect your time, Owen. Um, do you have a hard stop at 8 o'clock? Or 8 o'clock my time, I guess it'd be 7 o'clock your time. Yeah, I, I do need to let you go. Of course. But can I can I comment on the recent controversy that you have found yourself in? You may. I just want to say this. We, as Americans, have to understand a couple things if we want to advance our agenda of independence and prosperity. We have to find out how to separate conservative culture from conservative politics. Mm -hmm. And we also have to realize that this podcast is sponsored by ramp are you the decision maker in your company consider this for the first time in decades there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform meet ramp the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value ramps business cards offer you cash back real money in your pocket Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. ...is cancer to any political movement. Purism in politics is cancer to any political movement. And I think the recent, call it a controversy that you found yourself in the middle in, is a perfect example it's the perfect example how purism in politics is cancer. Mm. We have to avoid this. We have to avoid this. We have to separate conservative culture from conservative politics. And we have to realize that there's much bigger issues to deal with right now than calendars or mm -hmm. cakes or girls wanting to show their flesh on the Internet. And quite frankly, look, there's no doubt that certain people know exactly what they're doing when they post things on the Internet. But look, if they're going to point their assets at the direction of the First Amendment and the Second Amendment and politicians who are going to move our agenda forward and do it for free, mm -hmm. when the opposite side has to pay for that promotion, I say let them do it and stop complaining. But the big message here, not to get wonky, <laughs> we have to separate political uh, conservative culture from conservative politics, and we have to avoid purism in our political movement or we are dead politically we are dead politically in 2024 we need to focus on the real issues how our government gets blackmailed with sex operations like the one jeffrey epstein was running and the one that just got exposed in boston and dc we need to find out why joe biden is so compromised by the chinese communist with the biden crime family taking millions of dollars from foreign countries we need to find out why the republicans won't shut down the southern border and why 
why Joe Biden has brought in more illegal immigrants in three years than the previous 10 years combined. We need to do something about the issues that I just talked about, the censorship. These are the real issues. These are what we all need to be focusing on. And you know what? If we can accomplish these things and get our country back and finally get some common sense and common decency back to our country, then maybe we can have these cultural debates. But until then, I hope we can lay down our swords, quit putting them at one another, and start to focus on the real issues. Amen. Absolutely amen to that. We have a $34 trillion national debt. We have crippling inflation. We have these interest rates that are insane. We have this medical tyranny. We have an anti-parent agenda. We have the FBI being weaponized against moms, you know, cronyism, corporatism. And as I said, they just shut down an organic farm in Pennsylvania. Yes, I saw it. Congressman the southern Massey border is wide that. open. The southern border is wide open, but you can't drink a glass of raw milk, which, by the way, happens to be one of the healthiest things for you. Yes. No, I, 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 I have no words for what's happening now. It's it's clown world. It really, truly is. Um, I wanna I wanna thank you, Owen, for for joining me. I hope that I get to talk to you again. I think that there's there was so much in this conversation that um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really looking forward to re-listening to it and sharing some clips up on Spaces with Josie. Um, so, so thank you again. Where can people find you? How can they support your work? Yeah, so I'm live every day, three hours weekdays at owenschroyer.show, or you can go to band.video, click on my face, you'll see me there, or band.video slash warroom. I'm joining this space tonight from one of my two Twitter accounts, at owenschroyer1776, at owenschroyer1776. That's my political and media account. Uh, For things that I do off the wall, not really involving politics, but uh, more like inspirational stuff, uh, weightlifting, exercise you can follow me at all i do is owen i'm also on rumble i do live streams over there rumble.com slash owen but you know i've committed to what i call max maxing and that means getting everything you can out of yourself reaching your full potential getting everything you can out of this life because let me tell you being the best person you can be right now is easier than it's ever going to be and fighting tyranny right now is easier than it's ever going to be if we don't if we don't win and become the best people we can be now it's going to be a lot more difficult in the future so i just encourage everybody to make the most of yourself make the most of your life never take anything for granted because you never know when it can be ripped away from you wonderful thank you so much for being here um and i hope i get to talk to you again really soon owen Thank you. Good night. Good night. All right. For those of you who want to stick around, we're just going to have a short discussion after. I can make a few of y'all speakers. That was a fun discussion, huh? All right. All right. Cool. So... Anybody want to weigh in on anything that you heard that I just made a speaker? Yeah, I'd like to weigh in. Oh, Oh, go for it. Whoever spoke first. (laughs) Well, I'll speak on the prison system. Uh, Mr. Schroyer said that it's a for-profit system. Mm -hmm. First of all, I don't know how he understands all that after 60 days in prison. But also, I think that what we actually need is a for-profit prison system. The problem with the prison system in America, that is they 
passes for private prisons is that they're incentivized, they're paid based on the amount of inmates that they house. So the incentive is actually to keep inmates in there. If prisons were incentivized to operate like actual businesses were, where they were remunerated for results, then we might see something a bit different, where you didn't have unions in the correctional law that protect correctional officers from getting fired. There's actually a corporation out of the United Kingdom called Serco that runs their private prisons not exactly like what I'm saying, but they do give bonuses based on results. And by results, I mean reductions in recidivism. Okay, that's, that's, in, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I'm, Owen's very, very smart, and um, he has to have had his information from somewhere as opposed to being somewhere for 60 days. I, I, I take his word for it that that there is a profit in the public systems as well as the private systems. Well, it's, it's not about there not being private, mm-hmm. not being profit. It's just a, a different take on it? Well, people, there's an interest. So, for instance, correctional officers are paid. Uh-huh. Is that a profit? Profit means you're getting more out of the system than what you're putting in. And the taxpayers aren't getting a greater return than what they're putting in. So I that mean, wouldn't be Kamala Harris did, uh, she, she was imprisoning people beyond their sentences for free labor. So I think there could be an incentive in, in that regard. Oh, and, sure. Vested yeah. interest. Mm-hmm. Yes, there absolutely are. There's a lot of people that make money off it. I just wouldn't classify it as profit because that confuses it with private business. And that's definitely not. Oh, okay, I see. I see the distinction that you're making. All right. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, James. Clint, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to say how appreciative I am that he's uh, he's talking abolition as opposed to reform. Um, you know, I, it's not exactly surprising given what's been done to him, but mm-hmm. it's still refreshing that uh, <laughs> to have you know a, a big spokesman in the conservative wing. That's willing to, you know, say what needs to be done. I think that that, that actually moves the ball down the field. Absolutely, I agree with that. Especially when it comes to, you know, we have to abolish the FBI. You know, it's very hard stances that we've taken as libertarians for a long time. But I'm really glad to see that that message spreading. And I think we have like Vivek to thank for that in, in a big way. And you know, people who have um, gone through hell like Owen. So I, I agree with that. Uh, I think we have the FBI to thank for it because they've been (laughs) disastrous. Oh, yeah. Let me see here. Uh, um, Gary, go ahead. Uh, Gary, you're muted if you want to ask a question. Are you there? I'm fine. Hi. Did, did you want to ask a question? No, not really. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, JP? Oh, hi. Hi. Can JP. you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, well, I thought it was interesting um, what Owen was saying because uh, my father actually, he taught within the penal system out here in California. I'm in LA. But he taught at a medium security prison out uh, in Chino, which is about 50 miles east of L.A. Mm-hmm. And I would go out to uh, visit him, you know, occasionally and talk to the cons. Uh, you know, they're people, too. And uh, uh, I remember one day my old man said, uh, 
what do you think the average literacy level of these guys is? And it's a medium security prison, so they have everything from 18-year-olds, you know, first-timers, all the way to veterans, lifers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, I had no idea. And he had about three classes, maybe about 15 to 20 you know, cons in each class. So anywhere from 45 to 60 people. And I said, I have no idea. And, and I'm, you know, in my late teens at this point. I said, eighth grade? And he just kind of guffawed and said, nah, maybe fourth grade. Oh, wow. But basically, but basically, they're all just kind of what they call uh, uh, functionally literate. I think that's the term, you know, where you can read street signs and, you know, mm-hmm. store, uh, store signs and things like that, labels on cans. But read a newspaper article? No, no. Read a book? Certainly never. Read an in-depth, you know, magazine article? Never. And I, you know, that has never left me over the years because when we look at the uh, the correlation between illiteracy and incarceration, it's extremely tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so you know, clearly there's a problem there, and that circles back to education. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up here in, in the next minute. Mm-hmm. So last year, I got kind of curious. Uh, I don't know why, but I got curious um, about our, our uh, educational levels, you know, in, in uh, public school. And I found this article that was so astounding. It was about 2019, the article was written. It was about a Baltimore uh, high school. And um, Dave, there was somebody on the inside, a whistleblower, I think it was a teacher, Mm-hmm. And they released this data that basically showed that their students were reading at a grade school level, mm-hmm. 70% of them, and 30% of them were basically illiterate. And I said, this is impossible. How can this possibly be? So I did some more uh, reconnaissance on that. I found another article from a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, see, the dog agreed. <laughs> uh, in, 20, in 2016, this article found that five... Am I interrupting something? No, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Uh, I just heard somebody say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I'll, and I, again, I'll wrap up. 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. So, I found this other article from 2016. Five, it profiled five Baltimore area schools, four high schools, one middle school. 100% of these kids, 100, could not perform at language and math levels. Wow. So, clearly, we have a problem here. So I think when you talk about incarceration and, you know, and privatized prison system, that's a whole other subject. CAA, look up CAA, the huge, huge company. But I think we have to get down to brass tacks and causal phenomena. And I think education is definitely one of them that's indicted here. I'll stop. Sure. All right. Thank you. Another big factor is uh, single motherhood. Um, I believe something like 80% of the people in prison come from single mother homes of the men in prison. But then I've heard that. Yeah, but then on the flip side of that, you have just as much of so so a boy raised by just his father has is just as likely to go to prison as a boy raised by his mother and his father. That's so, interesting. Yeah, so so that's And it's, like, and it's clearly and it's clearly young boys, yes. not girls. No, it's it's right. boys. So we yeah. have a real young young male problem. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. agree with that. Thank you, JP. Um, Mr. Robot, go ahead. Hey, Josie. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Perfect. 
Um, I just had a quick thought while uh, I was listening to the space, listening to Owen talk about dismantling the FBI, which I definitely feel like is the course we need to do now. I mean, if what appears to be going on is going on, this is a global takeover of every government, everyone's bought and paid. And it seems like that evidence is readily available, but no one is covering it. So I guess the only thing I wanted to kind of throw out there was for discussion is if you are going to shut down the FBI, how do you do it if they are in uh, possession of all the Epstein hard drives and all of that blackmailing? Are they kind of untouchable at this point? That's all I guess I wanted to say. I believe Vivek has a plan on how to take how to how to abolish them, like a step by step plan. So I I would assume he's the most detail oriented person I think I've ever witnessed and ever met. But um, I I believe he probably has a plan for for files and records and and that too. So it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out. But it's necessary that it does play out because they are they are hurting our country irreparably. Uh, let me see. Jeeds, go ahead. Hey, um, yeah, I just wanted to piggyback on Owen's point about being a political prisoner mm-hmm. because I would almost argue that everybody in America that listens to mainstream media or like interprets mainstream media is a prisoner of a sort of thought process that they want to instill on every American. Mm-hmm. And we are all prisoners of whatever is going on now. Mm-hmm. And what I appreciate about this is we're allowed to talk about our own opinions. Yeah. Yeah. Point. I mean, if if we're told January 6th was the worst thing of, since the the Civil War, and then people look at it and it's like, is it really? Did, did BLM not just happen? Like, I feel like everybody is in a prison and being chained during like Thanksgiving and Christmas. You try to talk to your family members about what's going on. They freak out. I feel like everybody is in Owen's shoes and Owen is a great guy and he's communicating with people that understand where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Like he sat in jail. And it could be any one of us. Yep. Thank you for that perspective, Jeeds. All right, I'm going to take these last three hands and then close up. I don't have as much time tonight as I usually do. So, Uh, Michael and then JP and then Gary. Josie, I just want to say I think you made a good point about single mothers. Um, And I speak as somebody, I spent 25 years in prison, so I'm not just speculating on something I haven't experienced. And I've also studied criminal behavior rather extensively. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to keep in mind that while there are correlations to criminal behavior, what ultimately causes crime is criminals. Mm -hmm. And it's the way that we think that leads us to behave in the way that we do. And if anybody is interested to learn about the subject, I would highly recommend Dr. Stanton Salmonow. He's deceased now, but he wrote a lot about the criminal mind, criminals think, and why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a little bit of um, information into single motherhood, into single mothers and uh, their boys in prison is 
when you're raised by a father, boys are taught stoicism. When you're raised by a mother, only a mother without that kind of outlet into how to be a man, you're taught how to deal with things emotionally. And that's what why so many men raised by single mothers wind up in prison because they were taught to deal with their feelings emotionally as opposed to deal with them internally. So um, that that's kind of the the reason behind all of that. So thank you for, for that opinion. Uh, JP? I, I think Gary was first, Josie, okay. before me. All right, Gary yeah. and then JP. Um, okay, I'd like to pick up on what a few people said. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the education system, I was in public school. I quit in the eighth grade, but... I continued to study on my own. I went to libraries, I read books, and it's not the educational system to teach you because we all know not everything they teach you is the truth anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's just pure laziness on a student's part or their parents' part of not teaching their kids. Mm -hmm. My mom only had an eighth grade education and she couldn't teach me anything. So I had to go out and I had to learn on my own. So I went to libraries and all over the place and I just read on my own dictionaries, um, encyclopedias, math books, stuff like that. And I got incarcerated when I was 19 years old for shooting somebody for breaking into my mom's house. And this was back in 1988 and there was no self-defense law in Ohio at the time. Mm -hmm. And the judge told me we could have ran out the house. Mm. I was like, are you kidding me? Is there self-defense law there now? Yeah. No, they just passed it not too long ago. Oh, that's good. They're, I mean, that's, and, um, but, I mean, not everybody that goes to prison is dumb. Mm -hmm. no, I, I went there, I got, I went there, I got a free education. I mean, I didn't spend all my days in the weight room lifting weights. I went there, I got a college education. On their dime, if they wanted to send me to prison, I had a plan. I said, I'm going, I'm going to get my grants, I'm going to get my education on their dime. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. You <laughs> but, used the prison um, system. I studied. I also studied um, criminal behavior because I had a lot of problems growing up trying to. I was diagnosed as a sociopath growing up. Mm -hmm. And if not for meeting these girls. Growing up, I could have went down a different path, but these girls taught me, you know, how to deal with my feelings and stuff. And so I became like the protector in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I dealt with a lot of pedophiles and rapists and child abusers, women abusers and stuff like that. And so I was the protector in my neighborhood. And that's why when I heard what 
Iron called you. That really ticked me off. Yeah, we don't think about him at all, though. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> appreciate you, Gary. Thank you. I'm glad that you're out and you're doing better and uh, protecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Anyway, that, that that's all I had to say. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, JP, mm -hmm. go ahead. Thanks. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I've only recently discovered you, uh, Josie, and um, I, I'm actually an old libertarian. I go all the way back to Harry Brown. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, he's uh, before my time. And, yeah, and um, of course, uh, you know, the great Ron Paul. Yes. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, um, I, I just think this subject is so uh, important to our society because when I think about what happened with uh, C-19 over these last three years, and we know now after uh, these three years, there's a lot of data that's come out, and one of the one of the more crucial pieces of data, I think, is 70% of the world's population that was um, agendized, so mostly the Western nations. Mm -hmm. They uh, had 70% of the population acquiesce to at least one of the shots. Okay, mm -hmm. so 70%. So I I am in the 30% who didn't even take one. Okay, mm -hmm. now. What, what does that say to us? It says that the masses of people, for one reason or another, whether they were coerced or not, they went along with the agenda. And 30% of us, for, some, for another reason, on the other side of the coin, we didn't. What was the crucial, uh, or what were the crucial factors that went into the 30% making their decisions? And we could also ask the same thing on the other side, right? Yeah. I think, personally, it's the ability to reason and think critically. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have that in life, you have what you get. You have 70% being manipulated by the, you know, 0.5% of the population. That's, that's what I think happens. And we saw this play out in real time. And that's why I think uh, we're going to have to start looking in the mirror and asking ourselves some tough questions. Like for all the, you know, I'm in LA, I'm a product of LAUSD, the second largest school district in the nation, $20 billion a year budget, roughly. Mm -hmm. And and you look at the product. I mean, because, you know, like a business, you, you have a budget, and then you look at, you know, what are your goals and what are your outputs, right? And how do they measure up? Not just profit and margin, but, you know, what's the quality and all this other stuff. And at the end of 12 years of schooling, I feel, as a taxpayer now uh, and a parent, I, you should have kids who can critically think, who can speak articulately, who can write articulately, and can critically reason and think. I don't think there's too much... Can I answer your question? 12 years of school is, is a long time. To you know, be I think it was working uh, with a child. The Rothschild, the the Rothschilds who had come up with this um, women's empowerment movement, and they said we want to build a country of workers, not a country of thinkers. And uh, we've seen that be quite evident right. in the public school system. Yeah, I've heard this too. Mm -hmm. So Is I think for people on the question? ground, hold on a second, bro. Hold on. I'll finish up and I promise under a minute. I want to answer your question, bro. Like, I love what you're saying. Okay. Can you? All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Okay, you asked the question, like, what would lead somebody to not take the vax or whatever? And my initial standpoint is they were threatening me. And when That's I'm threatened... coercion. Yeah, yeah I like, I, when I'm threatened, I'm just saying double middle fingers to you. Like, if you but threaten I, me, I'm just like... Yeah, but, but, but bro, you got to understand something. I was threatened, too. Friends of mine who were also in the 30%, they were threatened, too, and we declined. Right, you know, and you it was the, very the tough. Double middle finger, dude. What's that? And you threw the double middle finger up to him. Isn't well, that, I mean, you know, I, maybe inwardly I did, but you know, I, yeah. But but the point is, is that I think this thing that this meta subject we're talking about, right, education. Mm -hmm. I think it filters down to the ground, you know, the everyday level, mm -hmm. and we saw it play out over these last three years. That's what I think we saw play out. Mm -hmm. You know, Matthias Desmet, you know, his thesis of uh, mass formation, right? Mm -hmm. This mass formation psychosis starts taking over and pretty soon it gains inertia and it rolls through the population. And we saw this play out. It played out in our media. It played yeah, out. There, in, will, there will be people that, that throw the double middle finger to it. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know that. All I'm <laughs> saying is, the, the question I'm, I'm raising is, or the thing to think about, I think, is, you know, there's other things, but one of the crucial things, I think, is what were people using to make decisions? You know, like in, 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 in poker, you know, poker and, and sports, you know, is, are there games, there are, there are arenas of knowledge making, is power. Knowledge of making is power. decisions. Well, mm -hmm. it's more than that, bro. It's, it's, it's execution. It's looking at what other players are doing, right? I mean, we have tons of psychology experiments that you know, show how collectivism works and how it pressures the individual, right? And so all I'm saying is, is that if we, don't, if we are churning out kids who cannot critically think, I think, I think that is in part one of the reasons why we had a 70% versus 30%. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Ah, uh, thank you. I, I've got a, I've got a lot I'm off today. <laughs> thank you, JP. Sorry, I've got, Oh no, you're good. I just have to be off in the next four minutes, so I figured I'd start wrapping a little bit sooner. But thank you, everybody, for joining me tonight. Um, I'm gonna be doing some clips. You can find clips on, on Spaces with Josie, all one word on X. Um, if uh, you want to watch the live streams, I do do live streams where you can watch my reactions in real time, and uh, you can become a member at TimCast.com in order to do that. Otherwise, thank you everybody for being here tonight, uh, especially my speakers and my special guest, Owen. And thank you to my members over at timcast.com for supporting our work. Do you regularly host, Josie? Yes, I do. I, uh, I do, do this. you have a set, set schedule? It's, it, we're getting there. Um, it's still a newish okay. show. I've been doing the show for a few months, but um, Okay. I do Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays uh, between 6 and 8. A lot of it depends on my guests schedule but i try to stay within those parameters next week i'm off all week because i'll be in iowa with vivek ramaswamy on the trail actually so um nice. yeah it's gonna be really no, is cool that six or eight eastern so you have six or eight six to eight eastern okay yeah because so, i'm on the west coast yeah so yeah, it that takes a lot of balls josie to support vivek ramaswamy like uh -huh. good for you i i'm on your trail like dude i appreciate vivek mm -hmm. if he wants to disband the fbi if he wants to disband the atf all for him 
Mm-hmm. I don't hear anybody else talk about that. <laughs> if, oh, Josie, if you could get Vivek in here in a space, wow. Yeah, I've had him on twice, fantastic. actually, in spaces, and I'll oh. hopefully have him on again. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I'm following you now. So. Yes. Okay. Well, what you can do, go to the highlights. If anybody wants to listen to my latest interview with Vivek, you go to the highlights tab on my page, and you scroll down, and it's in there. It was from a couple months ago. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that's how you can listen to that. So yeah, absolutely. So thank you everybody again for being here. Uh, watch uh, for updates on Spaces with Josie and watch for more um, more spaces in the coming future. Appreciate you all. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other.